That's going to be the setup for our sermon today. We're going to be in James chapter 3, if you want to turn there in your Bibles. Title of today's message is Taming the Tongue. When I was growing up in Kenosha, we were on the far western part of Kenosha at that time and in a new subdivision. And because of that, there was a lot of unfinished areas. And behind my house, for virtually most of my life living back and forth between my mom and my dad, there was a field back there that we got to play in. And I think every kid should have a field behind their house or near their house to play in. And I remember I was in the Cub Scouts, and between that and what my grandfather taught me, I learned how to build fires. And of course, you know, you probably shouldn't be doing that as a kid, you know, going out and building fires. But when I was, a, when I was about eight years old, my next door neighbor and friend Tommy and I got a hold of a cigarette lighter. And we went out into the field and we made a fire pit and we were starting to set small fires and just sitting around the fire and everything and, and trying to make it bigger and all that. And one fall day, we're out there, it's nice and dry and we're throwing leaves on this thing and throwing more twigs and all of a sudden the wind kicked up and the little, little fire we had became a really big fire and the smoke started pouring out and one, fortunately one of our neighbors saw it because it's starting to spread fast. It's starting to catch some of the, the grass and the, some of this corn stubble that was in that field on fire and he ran out with his shovel and, and stomped it out really fast and I wasn't allowed to play with Tommy for a while. So, and you know, in my eight-year-old innocence and thinking that I knew how to build a fire, I didn't understand though how fast a fire can get out of control if you don't watch it. Many times, us as Christians and, and even just people fail to understand that the same principles can apply to the words that we speak. And we really don't have a good grasp of how, the word, how our words can give life or they can give death. Jesus' little brother had a lot to say about this, so let's look at that right now. James chapter 3, starting in verse 2. For we all stumble in many things. If anyone does not stumble, stumble in word, he is a perfect man, able to bridle his whole body. Indeed, we put bits in horses' mouths that they may obey us, and we turn their whole body. Look also at ships, although they are so large and are driven by fierce winds, they are turned by a very small rudder wherever the pilot desires. Even so, the tongue is a little member and boasts great things. See how great a forest a little fire kindles. And the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. The tongue is so set among our members that it defiles the whole body and sets on course uh, on fire the course of nature and is set on fire by hell for every kind of beast and bird of reptile and creature of the sea is tamed and has been tamed by mankind but no one can tame the tongue it is an, an unruly evil full of deadly poison with it we bless God, our God and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in the image of God. Out of the same mouth proceed blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not to be so. Can a spring send forth water 
that is both fresh and bitter from the same opening? Can a fig tree, my brethren, bear, bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Thus, no spring yields both salt water and fresh. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you, Lord, for your word. We thank you, Father, for the words of James, Jesus' little brother, because they are so practical and so down to earth and hit us right where we live. So we thank you, Father, for the words that he penned all those years ago. And we ask, Father, as we study them today, that you would make them reality in our lives, that we can allow the word of God to judge the thoughts and attitudes of our heart, to bring us to repentance, and to live in such a way, Father, that we bring you maximum glory, and that you can use our lives in the best way that you can because of our yielding to you and your word. Father God, be with us this morning, in Jesus' name, amen. How many people here have heard the the phrase, sticks and stones may break my bones, but names will never hurt me. Everybody's probably heard that, right? It's a pretty common saying. It's kind of a dumb saying, though, when you think about it. It's something you say as a child, but when you really sit down and think about it, a person who would say something like that has never had to deal with a teenager on her second suicide attempt because she's being bullied in school and made fun of. They've never sat across a desk from a couple whose words to each other have pretty much shipwrecked their marriage at this point. We don't understand the power of words. People who would think these things, that six and stone may break my bones, but names will never hurt me, are also ignorant of history because it's the words of powerful men that have led to some of the worst atrocities in all of history, if you think about it. Nero, for example, with his words, led to the slaughter of Christians in the early first century church. Mussolini and Hitler set the world on fire in World War II. Mao killed millions and millions and tens of millions of people because of the words that he wrote down in the little red book. What about authors like Darwin, who, who said that the six days of creation don't exist and we are just evolved animals? And since he came out with that theory, mankind has been pr trying to prove him right that all we are are animals by our action. Well, the words of, Frederick, words of Frederick Nietzsche who said that God is dead and we have killed him, saying that because of our enlightenment and because of our moving more from faith to rationalization and, and scientific reasoning that we don't need God anymore. Look how many people who he, he's led astray by his words and, and set them on a course to hell. Anton LaVey wrote the Satanic Bible that people still follow today. Charles Heigl, the German philosopher, also denied God and said that he is dead. There is power in the tongue, and words mean something. Jesus' little brother understood that. And he makes a very emphatic statement about this when he said, If anyone does not stumble in word, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle the whole body. And that little snippet that we read here in James is very intriguing, very interesting, because the Bible doesn't often speak of humans ever being made perfect this side of eternity. In fact, it says quite the opposite about it. If you remember Jeremiah's summary of mankind, he said that their heart is deceitful above all else and desperately sick. I mean, that doesn't point to human perfection at all, does it? 
But James throw this, throws this out there as a thought, and then he goes and tells us some of the ways and how we can tell for ourselves how far we have to go to obtain that kind of perfection. And it starts with what comes out of our mouths. Most people, even in the church, don't realize that the words we speak have incredible power, and they're one of the best windows into the heart of the person who is speaking them. So we're going to start our study of this truth by looking at the power of the tongue. Now James gives us a few illustrations common to his day to show how the tongue and the words that we speak have power to change our lives and the lives of others. He compares the, the power of the tongue to a horse. The horse was one of the stronger domesticated animals of this time, and it was a very willful animal. Horses just didn't come as fowls out of their mothers and want to be ridden and want to be used for agricultural reasons. They had to be broken. They had to, to be broken and then harnessed to be any use of all to humankind. And they did that, interestingly, by putting a bit in their mouth. Think about that. They had to almost tie that horse's tongue down to make it useful at all. And that's the kind of imagery that James is giving us this morning. Another example that he gives is the example of a ship. Now, a ship in those times was the largest man-made controllable or moving device in the world. They, it's what they use for commerce. It's what they use to ship things all over the place. And he uses that to say, look, you have this, this ship on the water. And even if the wind is driving it this way, if the pilot knows how to use the rudder, he can still make that ship go where, where he wants. If he sets a sail a certain way and uses the rudder, he can make that ship even go against the wind. And he compares the tongue for that because we can either be driven by the winds of our passions or we can keep ourselves on course in our spiritual walk with God in our relationships with one another through the careful handling of what comes out of our mouth. The takeaway from this is that you can work your whole life to achieve something and blow it through one careless moment. One momentary lack of discipline can ruin years of good spiritual witness and testimony. You can do this in your career. I mean, how many times have you watched a movie or a TV show where somebody's talking about somebody like a boss, and the boss is standing right behind them as they're doing it? And the boss is kind of sitting there going, really, that's what you think of me, huh? Just that one slip, and all of a sudden their career is, is gone or maybe even ended at that point. How many times has a person been caught spreading gossip about a co-worker and their, their whole reputation is shot because they're spreading either lies or just something that doesn't even need to be said about a co-worker? What about marriage? How many times you know, have I even come into the come back home from a long shift, you know, I'm tired, I'm frustrated, you don't take the time to decompress before you walk in the door, and then, you know, your wife hasn't been feeling good, has some kind of day, and you go off at her for a messy house, or your dinner's not done, or, or it's burned, or whatever, and you just start tripping out on each other, and using words to tear each other down instead of build each other up. 
We do this sometimes with our children. Sometimes we have unrealistic expectations of them. Sometimes we compare this with our other, compare them with our other kids. How many times did you hear that if you grew up with brothers and sisters? Why can't you be more like blank? Well, God didn't create blank to be that person. He created blank to be blank. So that's, that's, that's how you use words to tear people down or not taking a time out before you discipline in them. Sometimes the need to spank a child should be tempered by time for a moment. Besides, it makes them sweat. Usually make the discipline a little bit more effective if you think about it. Sometimes families can be torn apart, distant families, just by taking time or talking about people. And why do these simple slip-ups cause so much damage? You know, in the church, it's almost like we need a hunter safety course for words. If, you're, if you've ever taken a hunter safety course, the truths that you learn about firearms can also be applied to the words that we use. The, what... The number one thing is that words are like bullets. Once you fire that word, can't take it back. You can say, I'm sorry, you can try to apologize, but that word is gone and it's going to hit that target and it's going to cause some damage, even if you immediately apologize. That's why they teach you in firearm safety to never point a weapon at a person, at a target, unless you intend to destroy it. And we have to consider that with our words sometimes, that that's what our words do to people, and carefully consider what we're speaking. And the funny thing about words is they have the, that ability to destroy not only their intended target, but often the person who spoke them. Think what would happen to you if you're out hunting one day and you hear a rustle and you just ring up your rifle and fire and it was an eight-year-old kid because you weren't sure of your target. Think how that would destroy you and probably send you to prison. Our words are like that. I want to illustrate what happens when words are fired with this old piece of wood here we found in the garage and a nail. Went and got this last night at Walmart. Couldn't find our hammer for some reason. <laughs> You know, if you think about this being our words, and, you know, I come in after a long shift and I see Tammy left the kitchen messy or something. Not that she ever does, but let's just say she did. And I walk in the door and I'm thinking, lazy, what's she doing all day? Gosh, I'm working my butt off. I'm pastoring a church, doing this, and she wakes up and I'm like, what are you doing all day? You're just going and going and, and not doing anything. And the house is a mess. And, and she didn't tell me, you know, you know, I was spending like a bunch of time with somebody and, you know, somebody that really needed me or something or, you know. And then I come to church and, you know, somebody comes in and they have a complaint. And it's somebody that doesn't show up a lot, doesn't do anything, participate in the church, but all they do is complain. And they start complaining, and I'm like, well, maybe if you showed up once in a while and got really good with God and did this and listened to my sermons and gave to the church and did all that kind of stuff and do all that, and you just keep pounding and pounding and pounding and doing all that kind of stuff and just venting out of our emotions and, and not being mature with our words. And then, you know, I go to my prayer time and God convicts me for doing 
this damage over here to Tammy, this damage over here to the church, maybe have another nail up here for stuff I've done at work. And so I walk up to Tammy and I said, honey, I'm sorry, I was out of line, I was tired. And, and you know, I'm, I'm sitting here trying to pull this nail out and trying to fix the situation and all that. And I pull the nail out and Tammy forgives me. And I go to the person in church and I say, you know what, I was a jerk. You know, I'm a sinner saved by grace just by you. And I come up with all the other reasons for not being disciplined and all that kind of stuff. And I asked you for your forgiveness and you forgive me because you're a good Christian, better than I am. And, you know, so you think, well, the nail's out of the wood, everything's okay now. But the problem is, is once you pound that nail into wood, what is left behind? There's a hole there. That's the power of our words, that even if there's forgiveness, there's still going to be that hole there. The damage is going to be done. That's what we have to remember with our words is that we can ask for forgiveness, but how much better is it to take a moment and think before speaking and not have to worry about leaving a hole in somebody? That's the power of the tongue. Now let's look at it being a window into the true character of a person. The tongue is an evidence to what is inside of a person. And James here, I think, is just sharing things that he heard his brother say when Jesus was on the earth. He was using things that maybe came up during their family devotions that Jesus may have shared. He may have heard things from synagogue, or he may have, have remembered the words of his brother at the Sermon of the Mount and, and different things that Jesus said throughout his lifetime that he was told about after his death. And... Jesus didn't mince words about when it comes to, when it comes to what, the words that we speak. He said in Matthew 12, 33, said, Either make the tree good and its fruit good, or else make the tree bad and its fruit bad. For a tree is known by its fruit. Brood of vipers. He's speaking to the Pharisees here in particular. Brood of vipers. How can you, being evil, speak good things? And here's the central point, for out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. A man out of, the tre out of the good treasure of his heart brings good things, and the evil man out of the tr evil treasure brings forth evil things. But I say to you that for every idle word men may speak, they will give an account for on the day of judgment. For by your words you will be justified." And by your words, you will be condemned. Thank you for the cross, Lord, because I'd have a whole lot of condemning coming on my day of judgment. But such a little spark, one offhand comment, and your testimony can be ruined, can it? And trust and reputation once gone is very difficult to get back. And I used to have a big problem with this. Just part of me coming up before I got saved and the way I grew up, I used to have a huge problem with self-esteem and, and pride and getting noticed and things like that. And I remember back in the late 90s, right after I became a paramedic, I was making some headway in presenting the gospel to a co-worker. This co-worker was kind of unique because he grew up in the church and I had just gotten saved fairly recently. He was a pastor's kid. 
But, like many pastor's kids, he had wandered away from the faith. He had seen kind of the dark side of church, and sometimes that, that happens within um, families of faith. And he got burned out from it, and he walked away from the faith. And we were working together at a station in Lake Geneva, and they got called out, him and his partner got called out about 45 minutes after the start of their shift. And he and his partner hadn't even approached the ambulance to check it out yet. It's the first thing you're supposed to do. You walk in and you start checking your ambulance. And they were just joking around, sitting around and drinking coffee, and they hadn't checked the ambulance yet. And they got a call going from a local hospital in Elkhorn going to Madison on a transfer, take a patient to Madison, to the bigger hospital. And they got to the hospital and they found out the patient was on a high-level oxygen mask and all that. And they go out to their um, ambulance to get um, an extra oxygen tank and realize that they only had about 300 pounds left in their oxygen tank, which on a mask will last you about 10 minutes maybe. And so they weren't going to have enough oxygen. And if they had checked their truck, they would have known that. And so I get a call from dispatch that says, you have to go do this um, transfer to Madison now. And I'm like, great. When I first became a paramedic, I worked ridiculously long hours. I was on at least a 72-hour shift here, 72 hours straight. And I was just, I was at the end, getting toward the end of it, and I'm tired, I'm crabby, I hadn't slept a lot in, that, in those three days. And I heard this, and it's like, wait a minute, you're sticking me on the five-and-a-half-hour round-trip transfer? It's like, I haven't slept in three days. These guys didn't even bother to check their rig. They're sitting there drinking coffee. You know, maybe if they actually learn how to do their gosh darn job, you know, and I'm just ranting at dispatch. I'm ranting at the other crew that was there. I'm just upset. Well, word got back that I was talking about that crew, and it pretty much ruined any chance I had to really talk about that guy as Jesus. Now, I was right as far as what I was saying, but I was wrong for saying it. It just didn't need to be said. I wasn't their boss. I wasn't anything other than a co-worker to them. And it, it really ruined and set back two years of rep, reputation and testimony at work right there. Just threw it right out the window. And had, it took a long time to get it back. And through many incidents like that, God finally got through to me about the power of my words. And now I have a few personal rules that I mentally go through when I'm tempted to speak about somebody else. I'm going to share those with you right now. Number one, don't say something behind a person's back that you have not already said to their face. Not that you wouldn't say to their face, but not what you have not already said to their face. And coming close behind that, ask yourself this, is it even necessary for me to say something to their face or something behind their back? Is it necessary? Is what I'm about to say, even if it's true, going to build this person up or tear them down? Is how I'm going to say it useful and godly and Christ-like? And is it for, is it going to show the person the character of God through Jesus or just puff up my own pride and self-worth? Or being that person that's kind of in the know. And perhaps much of what we think we need to say to others, we should instead be turning into prayer for that person that's bothering us. And then asking God, 
God, you know that this person bothers me and this particular action or characteristic of this person bothers me. So what is still alive in me that is kicking and screaming against that? And what needs to be nailed to the cross and given over to you so that it doesn't bother me anymore? Because that's what, when people bother us, that's what that is. It's just residual pieces of the flesh kicking and screaming. And that's the goal of God, to take that critical eye that we look at other people that is tempted to speak against and about other people and turn that critical eye inward before it ever turns outward. What did Jesus say about that? Take the log out of thine own eye before you look at the speck in your brother's? You see, your tongue is a window to what's really going on inside of you. That's why James agreed with his own older brother when he wrote for us, No man can tame the tongue. It is an unruly evil full of deadly poison. With it we bless our God and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in the image of God. And out of the same mouth proceed blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not to be so. And again, he says, can spring send forth fresh water and bitter water from the same opening? Can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? No spring yields both soft water and fresh. And so that has to bring up a few probing questions for us, doesn't it? I know that's probably not an issue here, but... How can a person who claims Christ as your Lord utter his name as a curse? I've often asked that. People tell me they're a Christian and then they use either God's or Jesus' name in vain as a curse. And I ask, and, I, and once in a while I'll ask them, Holy Spirit will just get me, or maybe I don't need to say this, but um, I have a woman at work that, that uses Jesus Christ as a curse all the time and I usually will jump up and say, where? And she'll be like, what? I'm like, where? And she's like, what What are you talking about? I said, well, you said Jesus Christ. I thought I was being raptured. <laughs> and she laughed. She's like, oh, ho, 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 ho. And all of that. And I use it, and I use it actually as a witnessing point. I don't mean to make her feel bad. I use it as a witnessing point because she claims to be a Christian. And I said, well, if you're a Christian, how can you use the name of somebody you love as a curse? I said, that would be like every time I'm nailing a, something with a board here and I hit my thumb with the hammer and I go, Tammy! <laughs> well, do I love Tammy or am I going to use her name as a curse? It's the same thing with God. And most people don't realize that. But God specifically said he's not going to hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. Exodus chapter 20. The other way that people can do that can make those that salt water seem to come from a fresh water source, is you're claiming the incredible experience of the new birth, you're claiming death to your old self, and you sound just like the rest of unredeemed mankind with curse words coming out of your mouth. Now, I'm not going to get into what is a curse word, because if you don't realize that, then you probably should hit your knees a little bit more. You know, it's, it's not George Carlin seven bad words or whatever that was. It's, you should just know which words are profane. If you're not going to say them in front of a priest, your pastor, your mother, or whatever, then you shouldn't be saying them in front of God. 
And it really shows the evidence and asks the question, can the same spring that exists within you through the Holy Spirit, taking up residence with you as a citizen of the kingdom, speak both praises to God and then walk out of church and speak profanity before men? That's why James says, and he speaks for Jesus when he says, my brother, brethren, these things cannot be. You better check the source of what's in your heart if you can do that on a regular basis. In conclusion today, I want to just go through quickly this, what a Christian's responsibility is in speaking. It's going to kind of mirror my rules again. Several things to consider before allowing your mouth to speak what you are thinking. Number one, check your heart. Again, does this build up the person or tear them down? Number two, check your motives. Another good way to check your heart is asking, are you looking for attention by sharing something or talking about somebody or to be that person in the know and are you trying to draw people to admire you by tearing somebody else down? That's checking your motives. And three, who does this glorify? Do these words and what you are saying, whether it's talking about somebody else or telling a joke or, or whatever it is, does this glorify God or promote Jesus Christ as Lord? And does it line up with the expectation that everybody has of you as a follower of Jesus Christ? And if not, simply choose to stay silent. The old saying is, it's better to be silent and have people think you are a fool than to open your mouth and remove all doubt. Proverbs says it even better. Proverbs 10.19, when he says, Where words are many, sin is not absent, but he who holds his tongue is wise. Finally, as the musicians come back up, and everything... We need to be dependent upon the Holy Spirit, especially with the words that we speak. I'm going to leave us with that one final bit of wisdom from Scripture as we close today. And it's found in Ecclesiastes 5.2. And it goes back to the idea when Jesus said that for every word that we speak, we will have to give an account for. Ecclesiastes 5.2, the words of Solomon, the wisest man next to Jesus that ever lived. Do not be rash with your mouth, and do not let your heart utter anything hastily before God. For God is in heaven, and you are on the earth. Therefore, let your words be few. And Father God, we just ask, Lord, that as your brother told us, and instructed us about the power of the tongue that we will have a new understanding, a new realization of that power now. That we would choose to put a filter and a muzzle on our own mouth, Father. Because often what we say does not glorify you. Even in my own life, sometimes what we say does not glorify you. So help us understand and live in that appreciation that we will have to give an account someday. That although our sin will be washed away by the blood of the Lamb, I don't want to lose any reward that you have for me because I did not harness my tongue the way that you have called us to. 
Thank you for tuning in to the Whitehall Assembly of God podcast. This is Pastor John Oscar, the senior pastor of Whitehall Assembly of God. If these messages have blessed you, I just encourage you to subscribe to these podcasts and you'll be able to hear every single message that comes out of Whitehall Assembly. If you are interested, go on Facebook and like us on Facebook. We do have a Facebook page, Whitehall Assembly, in beautiful Whitehall, Wisconsin. We also have a website that you can visit, whitehallassembly.org, or you can come visit us in person. We are located on the corner of Dewey Street and Sheila Street in Whitehall, Wisconsin. We hope to see you there someday. If these messages have blessed you, I'd just like to encourage you to contribute toward us being able to continue to bring them to you. You can see that on our website, top right corner of the page. If you have any questions, you can contact me at my email, pastorjohnoscar at gmail.com. If you don't mind, I would just like to take a moment to pray for you before we go today. Father God, I just ask, Lord, that every single person who listens to these messages will be brought into a deeper relationship with you through Jesus Christ our Lord. Let them experience the love and forgiveness that Jesus bought for us on Calvary's cross. I ask, Father, that you just use it to enrich their lives, that you use it to make them good ambassadors of the kingdom of God, and bring them into your presence someday. Let them be fruitful, let them multiply, and let them be used mightily for you in these last days. Father, I commit them to your care now. In Jesus' name, amen. God richly bless you.